I don't know what you've been through this week. I don't know what kind of morning you've had, but I'm so thankful that you're here. And my prayer is that God will meet with us through his word as he's already met with us through the different aspects of our worship and giving and singing together this morning. The message today comes from Ephesians 2. The title of the message is A New People. It's on page 814 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. We are going to journey through this whole passage together, which does sound like a lot and it feels a little bit overwhelming, but we're going to hopefully take it in bite-sized pieces so that we can process what it is the Holy Spirit has to say through his word this morning. We're going to read that text together, and then we will pray. I'll offer some comment along the way as we journey this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Let the word of the Lord wash over you this morning. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. And in these first ten verses describe dead people. They describe lifeless people. These are people who have not yet encountered Jesus. The fact of the matter is, all of us are born into sin. Pastor Eric, for the past several weeks, we've talked about our condition and how we're made right only through Jesus in our call to worship scripture reading. This morning, we're going to focus on, on how we are a people, but we are a people of a king and a kingdom. Pastor Eric last Sunday drove home that point that the kingdom of God is not just about dying and going to heaven, but actually it impacts the way we live today. And I love the way the Holy Spirit orchestrated that because neither of us really talked a lot before um, the Lord laid these messages on our hearts. The first 10 verses describe the reality of life without Jesus it is lifelessness. One of the key points that I want to point out from verse 10. If you're here this morning and you feel unworthy, you feel un unlovable, you feel like there's no way God can ever love you, God can ever make you new, there's no way that, you know, that your tomorrow can be better than your today because of Him, you just feel defeated and discouraged. Maybe you feel ugly and you feel unwanted this morning, but I just want to encourage you what verse 10 says for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. 
You are his masterpiece. That's a different sermon for a different time. But I hope that encourages you this morning. Continue reading with me in verse 11. And this is really where we'll focus the most of our time is verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There is a connection between a hopeless life and a godless life. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That phrase, one new man, is what inspired the the title of the message this morning. And that he might reconcile them both to God in the body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. What a beautiful text. Enemies become friends through Jesus. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. In the spirit, you church are being built into a place where God's glory dwells. May not feel like it, may not always look like it, we may not always act like it, but this is the reality of what God is doing in Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Lord, your word is food for famished ones and freedom for slaves. Lord, I pray that you meet with us today. Pray that you lay aside distractions that may be in our hearts and our minds. Help us to be receptive hearers to what you want us to do in light of this text. You're already speaking, you're already moving. For that, we give you thanks. Lord, I give you me this time, this moment, for such a time as this, and ask that you speak through me the words that your people, whether online or in person, need to hear most, and the words that I need to hear, so that I may repent, and so that I may have greater faith in your work as Messiah. We love you. We ask you to forgive us where we've fallen short and help us to focus on you and to hear from you this day. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of the Bible is all about a king and his people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He created the world. He brought it into motion. It was good. 
But then human sin and rebellion crept in. And we talk about the story of the Bible in almost every sermon. It's because we want you to understand there are connection pieces throughout all of Scripture that are woven together to give us this beautiful tapestry that make up our 66 books of Scripture. So God created humans and designed us for a relationship with Himself. And the fact of the matter is, after the fall in Eden, we've been trying to fill this hole in our hearts with anyone and anything except what we truly need. Relationship with God. The point that I'm going to drive home throughout the message today repeatedly is that you are not truly living if you don't know Christ. And that's a strong claim to make. Maybe you feel happy or successful or you're enjoying entertainment or pleasure or success in your job. But ultimately, if you don't know Jesus, you're not living. You're like a zombie from the walking dead, merely existing. But Christ hasn't called us to to live and to work and to pay the bills and to die. There's a greater purpose for you and for me. And that purpose is to know God and enjoy Him forever, and to share the goodness of God with other people so they too can be brought into relationship with Him. One of the most remarkable things about the God of Scripture is that He actually initiates the relationship. Not us. If you notice in Ephesians 2, the verbs are all passive. I am not a grammar teacher like Pastor Eric is. But, but the passive verbs here, we're not saving ourselves. This is a work of God by grace through faith. The amazing thing about the God of Scripture is that He is making a new people for Himself. A people who delight in God and are transformed by His, old, by his amazing grace. In the Old Testament, God's people are connected to their common faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the New Testament, God's people are connected through the Messiah, Jesus, who has come to crush the evil one once and for all. The Bible is a book about people. It's a book about the people of God's kingdom. Through all the sorrows and joys, God's people are those who declare without reservation that Yahweh is king and there is no other. These are the people who often fail and falter and continue to rebel, and yet they're still the people of God. So that's where we're heading this morning. Ephesians is a book written by Paul to a little church in a town called Ephesus to remind and encourage a group of believers of their identity in God. He labored to remind them that they were a new people and that they were included in God's family of promise. So just like the Ephesian Christians, brothers and sisters, we need regular reminders of our identity and our purpose as the people of God. We need reminders that we've been made new through Jesus, and that changes everything. One writer said, the focus of this text is identity, who we are and who is God. From knowing who we are, we know how to live. This passage thus reveals the identity of the people of God, the identity of the people in Christ, and the identity of living life in God. The main idea that I want you to take home with you, your Take-home truth for today is this. We are being built into a new people where God's presence dwells, and that changes 
everything. We are being built into a new people where God's presence dwells, and that changes everything. You know, one of the virtues in our day is authenticity. More than anything in the world, we value happiness and authenticity in our this American moment, this post-Christian moment, this cultural moment, as John Mark Comer or Mark Sayers would say, is a moment that we need authenticity and we need happiness. I'm not saying those are the only things we should value. These are things that we as a people have come collectively as a society to value. Everyone hates fake people. We're turned off by that. Aside from happiness, like I said, fake, fakeness doesn't fly, especially with younger generations. And the reason why this longing for authenticity is so present in our generation today is that we have seen so many that we've loved, looked up to, respected, and trusted walk away from their faith or even fall into sin publicly. So there's this question looming over everyone's head, who's there to trust? And many of you here this morning maybe even are wondering, why should I even trust what Dustin is saying? I hope it is because God is here with us. And because I'm not perfect, but I've been changed by His grace. So part of our lack of trust and authority stems from the leaders who live one way in public and different in private. We just don't have the patience for that. One thing is for sure, fake people will be found out eventually. But can I submit something to you that we often don't think about? We are all hypocrites. I've heard many people tell me, I'm not going to church because that place is full of hypocrites. If you are looking for a perfect church, you will not find it in Chandler, you will not find it in Newburgh, you will not find it in Evansville, in North America. Every church has hypocrites in it because, guess what? You and me are part of the church. Now that doesn't mean that the people of God should just live any old way that they want to, but I often hear this raised against our faith. Why do I not trust Jesus? Why do I not want to go to church? It's because those people are so fake. And sometimes those charges, we need to be humble enough to recognize. Are we living different? Have we decided not to move back and only move forward? Or are we still living in the old ways? The Church of Acts was described as the people who turned the world upside down. And it was because they were so different. So many times it's easy for us to just sort of melt into the culture around us. If you're a young person, it's hard for you to stand up for Christ in your job or at your school because you want to be accepted and you want to be loved, and these are good human values, and so you just maybe put your light under a bushel and, and you don't let it shine. But church, we are a different people. Different, imperfect. But we are a different people. God gives us, as his people, a new identity and a new purpose. He's collectively raising up a kingdom of priests and worshipers who delight in God and seek his glory alone. Jesus is not only building a kingdom, but he is building a people. He's not only building a kingdom, but he's also building a people. 
everything that we do as a ministry of faith church is for one reason, to build the church that our friends and neighbors will join and that our children will one day lead. I want to just submit to you one important idea about this building of a kingdom people. It is only and exclusively through the blood of Christ that people as different as you and me can get along and be a family in church. Only through Jesus. We're all so different. We have different priorities. We have different interests. We definitely have different opinions, Faith and Chandler. One of the things I love about living in the Midwest, in the South where I grew up, people would disagree to you but tell you to your face, that's, that's good. I think that's a great idea. And then as soon as they go home, can you believe that they come like this? In the Midwest, you don't do that. You just tell people straight up, I don't like that at all. We are so different, and it is only the blood of Christ that can unite us. There's two sections of this message that I really want us to to kind of focus on. There's two categories of people, and I want to ask you, what category do you fall into this morning? It's not overly complicated. It's quite simple, actually. There are lifeless people, and there are living people. There are lifeless people. And there are living people. Paul started this chapter out by describing the lifeless people who do not know Christ. He says, you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? You did whatever you wanted to do. And what you wanted most to do in your heart of hearts was not to worship God and enjoy him forever, but it was to make you happy and you sit on the throne of your own heart. We all conducted ourselves in the past according to the lust of our flesh. Notice the people who are lifeless. They are fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind because they believe the lie. If I just do this thing, if I just have this relationship, if I just go to that place, then I'll be fulfilled. And what we have around us is a society of people who are so empty. Why do you think addiction is running so rampant in Warwick County? You think somebody wakes up one day and just decides that's what they're going to do with their life? They're trying to fill a hole in their heart. They're walking around and they don't even know it. They're being blinded and deceived and they're being led by the principality of the, the air. They're not being led by Christ. They don't even know Christ. But these lifeless people continue on down in verse 11 are without Christ. They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's focus on that for a moment. Lifeless people are separated from Christ. They may seem like they're alive. It may seem like they have all the things, the material possessions that this world could offer. It may seem like they're happy shopping. It may seem like they're enjoying whatever form of pleasure you can imagine. But if you get them alone, they're lifeless. That's a strong claim to make, that people outside of Christ are lifeless. How can I illustrate it? First, we are alienated. What is this word alienated? We are totally separated. There's a great chasm. Um, there's a song that, that's a Christian song out that says, how great the chasm 
We, we couldn't cross. The, the bridge between us and God was wider than the Grand Canyon. We, we could never get to him. We were separated totally from him until Jesus stepped in. We were alienated from Christ. We were also separated from the covenant of promise. The word covenant is scary to some people because it seems like cultish or something. Covenant just means promise. The God of the Bible is a covenant keeper, which just means he keeps all of his promises. He kept his promise to Adam. He kept his promise to Noah. He kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. And he's keeping his promise to us today. But separated from the covenants of promise. God had a select group of people in the Old Testament who we often call Israel. Sometimes people get confused and they think about a peninsula, a piece of geography in the Middle East. Oh, that's, that's Israel, especially in conversations about the end times. In the Old Testament, though, it was, it was a metaphorical thing. Even though there was a literal geography, right? They measured out the borders of Canaan land when they went in there. Um, they, they went and they measured out all these different plots of land for the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and God's going to you know, restore the land of his people. That's one of his promises that weave throughout all of Scripture. But it's more than that. It's about being included in a family. Every last one of us that are gathered here today, we would have no hope. Unless you had Abraham in your genealogy, you were considered as cut off from the covenant promise of God. And yet what God is doing through the Messiah Jesus is he's including people that are outcasts and he's including people that the world rejects. And he says, those are the people that I want to be in my family. If you're here today and you are still in that world of lifelessness, you're, you're doing life, you're going through the motions, I want to submit to you that there's a greater reality that is beyond what you're presently living. You don't have to just be dry bones. You can truly live. There's two words for life that are commonly used in the New Testament. One of them just simply refers to biology life, bios. It's this life that we have and we're breathing in this oxygen and it's coming into our lungs and there's blood flowing through our veins. That's bios. But then um, zoe life is, is true, true life. I want to share with you some verses from what the Apostle John has to say about lifeless people who don't know Christ. So stay with me. These verses are going to be in 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter, I'm sorry, John 3 and 1 John 5. If you just listen closely, I know it's a lot, and I, and I, I hesitate to share these because it is distracting to think about other verses. But listen to what the word of the Lord says. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, how can a man inherit eternal life? John chapter 3, Jesus says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 of John 3, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen to this, church. This is one of those verses that this next one 
is one that I had to memorize in college in a class called evangelism. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. May the word of the Lord convict unbelieving hearts. John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13 says this. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. A lot of good things in those verses. But he who has the Son has Zoe true life. He who does not have the Son is not really living. Well, Dustin, that's a strong claim to make. Everybody in our culture thinks they're Christians. If you were to do a survey, uh, one of the most telling things that um, Pastor Daniel and, and some of us have been thinking about in our area is that so many people in our area identify as Christian. So many people that you work with that are your neighbors, if you ask them, like, what's your religion, they probably would tell you Christianity. But if it is only a Christianity in name, and, and if the reality of the kingdom hasn't changed the way that you treat people, if the reality of the kingdom hasn't changed your perspective of other people, if the reality of the kingdom hasn't changed the way that you spend your money and your time and your talent, you don't know Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus would go on to say, I have come that you may have abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you the blessing of abundant life. That doesn't mean a life free from pain and heartache and suffering. In fact, it is the people of God who often suffer the most. It is a lie if someone told you, you follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. That's a lie from the pits of hell. That's not what we're saying when we're talking about true life. We're talking about meaning and purpose and direction and perspective. Do you have the Son? Do you know Jesus? Have you been convicted of your sins, repented of your sins, and trusted in Christ? And by the way, Trusting in Christ, as Pastor Eric said, is not just we walk the aisle, we say, Pastor Daniel, I want to give my life to Christ, I want to be saved, um, and then we get baptized, and then we have this card, and we have like these check marks, and then we're good with God, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how your marriage is, it doesn't matter how you spend your money, it doesn't matter how you spend your time, it's just a one and done thing, but that's just not the case. But it is when we begin to let go of ourselves, when we begin to recognize our poverty, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is when we come to that place that God can begin to move. Why do Christians suffer? If you're telling me that I can have life in the Son, Jesus, and if you're telling me that I'm really not alive if I don't have a personal relationship with Christ, then what? Well, if you're here this morning, and don't assume just because we're in church that everyone here is a believer. The saddest part about Judgment Day is that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not attend Faith Church? You didn't know me. Do you know the Son? 
I can't promise you that your life will be perfect or easy or painless. But I can tell you this. I've been following him since I was 12 years old. I'm now 30. He's never let me down. Even in the moments of great agony and despair, he's never let me down. Knowing Christ gives you life, and it gives you a way to frame reality and understand how messed up this world is and how a good God comes into our brokenness, and he's actually wanting to make you new. If you're here today and you're apart from Christ, I hope that you'll stop someone and talk to us about knowing Jesus. Scripture's clear. For the wrath of God remains on those who, who don't know him. Maybe you have a lot of questions. Maybe you're overwhelmed. and We can work through that in time, but this is the thing that you have to understand. You are not living unless you're in a relationship with God. Let's look at life-filled people. We've looked at lifeless people. Let's look at living people. Living people are those who've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. Living people are no, no longer strangers, but are family to God. No longer strangers. He says in verse 14, let's go back to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He made both groups one, and he tore down the dividing wall of separa separation. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't feel like your soul has been infused with the life that King Jesus offers. Can I tell you this morning, there's nothing you have to do to get this life. It's not pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It's not just trying to feel better, or the power of happiness, or the power of positive thinking. It's not any of that, because that will ultimately dis disappoint you when you have a cancer diagnosis, or when your loved one dies, or when your children are not living for God. That stuff disappoints. It's empty. But this reality, that he has broken down the wall of separation. Unbeliever, if you're here today, I want to remind you that you don't have to climb a wall or be perfect to come to God. Jesus already tore the wall down. You have free access. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You can access him directly. And you're like, I don't know what to say. Just say the name Jesus. I think about my wife's testimony and how Lacey began to pray in, in anger. If you're real, show me. That is the seed of faith that the Lord began to work on her heart, and little did she know at the time that that was going to be the moment that would be her defining moment. Because we have this idea that we need to try harder, or we need to be a better person, or we need to do better to get to Him. Brothers and sisters, the language here is abolished. Do you know what the word abolish the wall of separation means? He didn't just... Drill a hole in some sheetrock, Steve. He bulldozed the thing down and made a new road for us to get back to God. That's amazing. That's what it means to truly live. 
He abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments. By the way, this enmity, we were hostile toward God and other humans. What's the first thing that happens in the Garden of Eden right after Adam and Eve sinned? They start blaming each other. A beautiful love relationship is now broken because of sin. You know, when we have enmity toward other people, hostility, let me translate it another way. They got what they was coming to them. You heard anybody say that? We all feel that way sometimes. But brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ takes away that, that enmity. Pastor Daniel shared in our video on, on Facebook this morning, just talking about unity. Sometimes we like to build up these walls, even Christians. I'm talking to born-again people. Build up walls in the church when Christ has already abolished the wall of division and hostility. I got into some hot water a little bit when um, it was maybe right before the pandemic, and I came together with some other churches. I was pastoring in another town at the time, and um, the whole racism thing was a big deal, like in the press and everything. Um, and there were 14 pastors across denominations, and we came together uh, and we, we, we did a, an event uh, where we, we're going to pray and we're going to worship. It was just a service. It was a worship service, interdenominational worship service. Um, would you believe that I had, I had people on my board who were mad at me because they thought I was going woke? It wasn't even anything about that. It was a Christian worship service in a public park that we were intentionally trying to, to, to show the world it don't matter if you're red, yellow, black, white, or whatever. Jesus is all that matters. But do you know I took flack for that? And I don't care because Jesus Christ has tore down the walls. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, and this was not in my notes, but I, I must share this with you. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore we no longer regard anyone this way or that way, but only in Christ or out of Christ. The walls that we build up, the barriers that we put, maybe the reason why some people are not coming to Christ and experiencing the life that he offers is because we are preventing them from getting there by the way that we live our lives and the way we treat people. Everyone who is human is an image bearer of God, and they are worthy of love and respect. And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to die and go to heaven. That's a different category. If we as a church can get this part about unity, it's not a thing that we're just going to conjure up. The only thing that unites us is that we are alive through Jesus. That's it. He's torn down the middle wall of hostility. I want to give you some implications. First, we'll look at implications for unbelievers. Then we'll look at implications for believers. And then we'll wrap this up. And we can enjoy lunch. Some of you are already thinking about where you're going to go. <laughs> Implications for unbelievers. If you've not yet been made new through Jesus, today is the day to experience the renewal Christ is graciously offering you. Jesus is standing arms wide open saying, I love you, I want you, I accept you. You can be made new, you can have a new purpose, a new identity, and yet... He's not going to force his way into your life. So you're here, and that, that first category of lifelessness describes you. There are lots of people in this room who would like to tell you about the life that Jesus offers. 
Number two, unbeliever, we've already said this, you don't have to climb a wall or be perfect to come to God. Jesus already tore the wall down. Number three, answer this question. Honestly, are you a part of God's family or not? I can't answer that for you. What is holding you back from repenting of sin and trusting Christ? Is it because you're too comfortable or because you still like being your own God? Remember Pastor Eric's illustration of God's throne room, God's courtroom that he he preached on several months ago? So many times we like to put God in the judgment seat. And yet before him, he is judge. Have you trusted him? Jesus wants you and you and you to be part of his family. What an amazing invitation. Think about that and respond. You can respond in three ways. You can accept his invitation and trust him. You can, ignore, you can try to ignore him, but Jesus isn't going away. You can't silence the lion of the tribe of Judah. Or you can, re, you can accept him and walk by faith and experience this new life that he wants to give you. A life of purpose, a life of fulfillment and meaning and direction. Those are some implications for those who don't believe. But most of you here believe in Christ. So what does this passage from Ephesians 2 have to do with your everyday life? Number one, we should rejoice that Christ has made us new. Part of that means living lives of worship to King Jesus. There's lots of practical application. If you go into Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, there's a whole laundry list of practical applications. I love that about Paul. A lot of times he gives you the theory, half of the book, and then he gives you how to put this into practice in in the next part. Number one, rejoice. We're new, guys. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your disappointments and your heartaches. You're not defined by all the many times that you've rejected him. What an amazing truth. Number two, we need regular reminders of what God has done for us in Christ. We need to regularly repent of sin and reorient our lives and get back to that kingdom focus. And this is another important part that impacts us directly in the body of Christ as a church. We must never forget that being a part of the family of God means that we have both privilege and responsibility. There are many privileges I enjoy because I'm married to Lacey. There are also many responsibilities, including my responsibility as the husband to wash my bride in the word and to lead my family to love God. I'm thankful for both my privileges and my responsibilities as a husband, pastor, employee, and Christian witness. But it's all about the foundation of knowing him, being a new person, and being a part of a new people that at this location is called the people of God who worship at Faith in Chandler. Brothers and sisters, we're being made into a new people, a unified people through Jesus. Though it may not always look like it or feel like it, we are made new when we trust in Christ. Our lives as the people of God look different than those who don't know him, even though that doesn't mean that we are perfect. The closer to Jesus that we get, the more that we will feel woefully inadequate and more aware of our sin. Jesus is inviting you today to be a part of his family. To live life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So a fitting conclusion for us today. I'm going to read these verses. Six verses. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. 
Ephesians 5, verse 8. You want to know how to put this into practice? Here it is, church. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, brothers and sisters. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful to even speak of the things done by them in secret. But all things are exposed or made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You brothers and sisters were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, and it's time for us to start living out the reality that we are a people of a king and a kingdom. Will you pray with me?